Loved ones, if you see tonight for the scripture passages, there are a number of them from various selections in or parts of the gospel accounts. Uh, because we're looking, we're looking tonight at the seven last sayings of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus' famous last words. And so I want to begin with this question to you tonight. Have you ever considered what your own last words will be? Uh, each of us will have last words. What will they be for you? Have you given thought to that? You know, some of the greats of human history clearly prepared beforehand their final words uh, because they're clever, they're thoughtful. These are a few of them. Benjamin Franklin said this, very clever, a dying man can do nothing easy. That's quite clever. Emily Dickinson, the poet, said, I must go in. The fog is rising, which is beautiful. Isaac Newton said this, I don't know what I may seem to the world, but as to myself, I seem to have been only like a boy playing on the seashore and diverting myself now and then in finding a smoother pebble or a prettier shell than the ordinary, whilst the great ocean of truth lay all undiscovered before me. There's humility in that. He had discovered so much, but he realized that there is still so much more truth to be discovered. Leonardo da Vinci said this, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Perhaps he was a bit too hard on himself. He achieved more than many of us will. Now, Buddha, Buddha reportedly said this, Behold, O monks, this is my advice to you. All component things in the world are changeable. They are not lasting. Work hard to gain your own salvation. His last words. Well, tonight, as we remember Jesus' death, we will consider his famous seven last words, and he chose not to be clever, but rather we see he was compassionate. He gave not advice, but hearty assurance to those who listened. He didn't guilt trip us into working harder to gain our salvation. Instead, Jesus declared that the work of salvation was finished already. It's remarkable how much truth we can draw from these last words of Jesus, and there's more than we can even consider tonight. But with that, let's dive into the first one where we find in Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus said this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here, Jesus, in effect, is saying to his Father in prayer, Don't judge them, these ones who are crucifying me, according to the heinous degree of their offense because they really don't know how bad it is. You see, the Roman soldiers who mocked Jesus, who put nails in his hands and cast lots for his clothes, they didn't really know who Jesus claimed to be. They probably just thought he was another Jewish rebel. They didn't know that they were torturing, in fact, their creator and sustainer himself in human flesh. Because they didn't fully know this, Jesus says to his father, forgive them. He's asking that his father would not judge them according to the severity of their actions because there was a part of them that was ignorant to it. They didn't fully understand who they were messing with, so to speak. And so in that, we find that Jesus is just, 
He is kind and he is merciful here. And this is a glimpse, is it not? Into the heart of Christ again for us. Here he is under great distress, in extreme agony and pain on the cross. And when others attacked him falsely on account of the truth that he stood for, he did not find it necessary to defend himself or to retaliate. When others lashed him, mocked him, and nailed him to that cross beam, Jesus' blood flowed in love for his enemies. He shed no drop in hatred. Each drop of blood fell in love for sinners like us. And this reveals something about the heart of Christ to us. We find that he truly is quick to forgive. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, which is the description of the heart of God himself. He who was innocent forgave those who insulted, defamed, and ultimately killed him. Now, loved ones, how much more, how much more should we who are sinners forgive those in life who insult, defame, and kill us? You see, we are so quick to anger and to try and retaliate and to defend ourselves, but we should marvel here at the mercy of Jesus that reached out to forgive his enemies. And in light of what Christ has done, let us also be slow to anger and quick to forgive those who oppose us in the name of Jesus. Let's look at the second saying now, Luke 23, verse 43, where Jesus says to the other thief, or to the other criminal on the cross, he says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Here we see the great compassion of Jesus. While suffering the intense wrath of God against sinners, Jesus heard the plea of this criminal, this vile criminal next to him, hanging there, suffering for his crimes that he committed. And Jesus turns to him and promises him eternal life while he's suffering. Jesus is rich in mercy here. Now, what exactly did Jesus promise to this man? Was that after dying that very same day, he would be with Jesus in paradise. What is paradise? Well, the word paradisos is Persian in origin, and it means a garden or a grove or a park. It was the Greek word that was used in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible to refer to the Garden of Eden, like in Genesis 2, verse 8. It's also likely a reference to the upper region in the heavenly places, because Paul uses the same term to speak of the third heaven in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 4. And it's really interesting to see that many of the church fathers thought that the paradise in which our first parents, Adam and Eve, dwelt there in the Garden of Eden, that it still exists, they speculated, uh, that this paradise was in a way taken up with God and is neither found here on earth nor in the skies above, but is rather above and beyond this world that we know, that we can see. And so this paradise, we can conclude, is the essence of Eden, taken up into heaven where God and his heavenly beings dwell and where true Christians are taken after death. And so Jesus was promising this man 
who was dying next to him, safe passage through death to arrive in that garden-like place of peace and order which is kept by God himself. Now why, why would Jesus make such a great promise to this man hanging beside him who had committed who knows what heinous crimes to end up there on the cross? Remember, the cross, death by crucifixion, was reserved for the worst of criminals in ancient society. Well, we find there are three things here. First, the man openly confessed his guilt. If we read the passage in its context, he openly acknowledged that he was guilty. Secondly, he believed that Jesus was the Messiah with the authority of the kingdom of God to open it up and give entrance to whomever he wished. So he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And thirdly, he entrusted his soul to Jesus by faith when he said to Jesus in his plea, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So the man had a knowledge of the truth about Jesus. He agreed with that truth that he is the Messiah. And then he personally entrusted himself to Jesus, body and soul. And those three things are the ingredients of true faith. Knowledge of the truth, assent to the truth, agreeing that it is true, and then giving yourself over to that truth, Jesus. So friends, I want you to know that the word of God that we are hearing tonight is living and active. What that means is that if you too confess your sins, if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Lord, and if you entrust your soul over to him, then it is as if Jesus is looking over to you. He is hanging there on the cross looking to you and saying, today you will be with me in paradise. You too will be with me in paradise by your faith in me. The promise given to that man is still true for us tonight. So believe in him, believe in Jesus, just as that man did on the cross. Now the third, the third saying of Jesus in John 19, verse 26 to 27. We read a little bit of the context here. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, so they were there watching him be crucified, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his home. So here we find Jesus honoring his mother. He was fulfilling the law of Moses, the fifth commandment. But not in an abstract way. He wasn't just marking off, checking the box of obedience here. We have to remember that Jesus never truly tried to love because his thoughts and desires always started and ended in love because he is love. He didn't have to force himself to say this about Mary, his mother, just to check off a moral box of obedience. No, Jesus truly loved his mother, Mary. He truly wanted the best and the safest rest of the life that she had for her. And so Jesus entrusted her, his mother, over to the lifelong care of his beloved disciple, which we know as John. Now look how much the Son of God honored his mother. Now kids, listen to this, children. Jesus, who is the creator God himself, right? 
He is the creator God in human flesh. He honored his mother, even though Jesus knew that he was truly better and greater than her. And I know that, kids, you sometimes think that you are better or greater than your parents at times, that you think you are wiser than them. And because of that, you think at times that they do not deserve your honor, and so you don't give it to them. Well, Jesus knew, he knew he was greater. He knew he was wiser. He knew he was better, but he still honored his mother. In fact, Jesus showed his greatness in this way by honoring his mother in that hour. How much more should we, who are tiny creatures, honor and care for our parents and all of you adults, honor all those whom God has put over us as legitimate authority in life. We should honor them. The next saying of Jesus is in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, where he says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, loved ones, was forsaken on the cross by his Father so that we do not have to be. This was not a crisis of faith moment for Jesus. He was not questioning the Father's love for him. It was a declaration of fact. This was a reality that he was experiencing. God the Father forsook him on the cross. He abandoned him and rejected him. Why? Was it anything that Jesus had done? No but rather because Jesus bore in his body our sins. He carried there upon the cross our own sins and suffered accursed of God in order to free us from that condemnation that we deserve. So the father saw his son there, but he saw him covered in our sins, and therefore he forsook him so that we would not be forsaken. In a sense, we can think of it in this way, when we deserve to be put there with our necks in the noose and hanged for the crimes we have committed. Jesus pushed us aside and slid his neck into the noose and hanged there in our place to die for our crimes, our sins. He was forsaken so that we do not have to be. He entered the darkness so that we can walk in the light. Jesus was forsaken so that we might be forgiven. So Christian, know this, he who in love chose to be forsaken for you will never forsake you. He will never forsake you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The next, the fifth phrase and saying of Jesus we find in John 19, verse 28, where Jesus, we, say, we hear this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst, I thirst. In physical exhaustion and severe dehydration in his humanity, Jesus spoke here of his thirst, but it was more than just that. He was also fulfilling the scriptures in Psalm 69, verse 20 to 21. We hear this, it says, Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there is none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. 
So when Jesus asked, or when he cried out, I thirst, he was indeed asking for drink. But why? Why did he ask for drink if he was planning on dying, if his end game was to die for sinners like us? Well, it was because his suffering was not quite yet finished. In his humanity, he needed a bit of drink to help him fight through the final last bit of pain until he accomplished his mission, until it was finished, which is the sixth thing that Jesus said. In John 19.30, he cried out, It is finished. It is finished. This is perhaps the most famous of Jesus' last words, and with good reason. This is what our feeble hearts need to hear again this evening jesus declared there on the cross it is finished in other words mission accomplished he had received a mission from his father before he entered into this world before his incarnation and that mission included a whole host of things things like fulfill all prophecies it is finished keep the law of love perfectly it is finished reveal to the world who god the father is finished pay off the full debt of guilt for the elects of god finished lay the foundation for the new creation in blood finished friends if you trust in jesus all the spoils of christ's victory and his mission accomplished are now yours by faith to lay claim to his perfect obedience therefore is yours Full, bold access to the Father without fear is yours. Your debt of sin has been paid in full, and you are now an heir of the new creation. Hear it again, it is finished. Christ has finished the work. Believe it and receive his finished work on your behalf again this evening. Now we come to the seventh and the last saying of Jesus on the cross, Luke 23 verse 46 where he said these words in prayer into your hands speaking to the father into your hands i commit my spirit here we find jesus willfully laying down his life nobody took his life from him it was his to lay down it was his to take up again in resurrection this is actually here a direct quote from psalm 31 which reads, For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Consider this. Remember what we considered earlier, that he was forsaken by the Father. He felt that forsakenness in a deep agony. Nevertheless, the Son of God still trusted the Father above all else. He knew that his Father was good and faithful. God the Father and God the Son are so united in love that not even the experiential suffering of God's hellish wrath itself could pull them apart from one another. They are inseparable. The Trinity is that ultimate cord of three strands that cannot be broken. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have always been and always will be united in love, three distinct persons, yet one true God, now and forevermore. And here at the very close of his life, we find that Jesus gave his human life 
his breath, his spirit, over to the Father in unbreakable trust, trusting in his Father. Why did Jesus intentionally choose to no longer hold on to his life, to give it up in that hour? Because he knew that in order to give us eternal life, he had to give up his own life in death. But wasn't the work of Christ already finished? We saw that earlier, right? Well, yes, it was. The job was already done, and so here we find Jesus, in a sense, punching out of the job at the end of his labor of love. And that's what he did after expending all of his human strength. He, as it were, collapsed into the arms of his faithful father, knowing that God the Father would soon, as that Psalm 31 said, take him out of the net of death. Death could not hold him down. And as we know and will celebrate on Sunday, three days later, Jesus would rise again victorious over sin and death. So as we've considered these Famous last words of Jesus. What do they mean for us again tonight? Well, because of Jesus' finished work for sinners like us, we too can entrust our souls in life and in death to Jesus. We have hope in Jesus, the assured confidence, the guarantee in his blood that we too will be embraced in life and love on the other side of death eternal life with him in paradise. Why? Because we have done such great things? Far from it. We have only earned condemnation, but he has earned our eternal life. We have hope only in Jesus Christ and his work for us, loved ones. We have hope to face death because of Jesus' compassionate commitment to consecrate us, as holy to God through his sacrifice on the cross. And that is what he did. He consecrated us to God as holy. We've seen that the famous last words of Jesus speak of his compassion, his mercy, his honor, his labor of love, his anguish as forsaken of God for us, and his unbreakable trust in God the Father. His words reach us again tonight to fill us with faith, hope, and love. May we live and die to honor our crucified Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and our risen King. Amen. Let us pray. Father, in this dark and dismal world, we find no hope in ourselves, no hope in humanity, but there in the person of Christ and what he accomplished on the cross and these words that were recorded and preserved for us to hear again tonight, in Jesus we find a light that is shining bright, a light of hope, victory over sin and death, escape from the misery that we find in this world, hope for the dawning of a new creation. Lord, we ask that you would give us more faith in him, more hope in him, and more love for you and for our neighbors. Lord, uh, work your truth into our hearts. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.